This is WPRB in Princeton, New Jersey, community-supported independent radio. And now at 5 p.m., it's news and culture. I'm your host, Adam Sanders. Midway in the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood, for the straight way was lost. Ah, how hard it is to tell the nature of that wood. Savage, dense, and harsh, the very thought of it renews my fear. It is so bitter, death is hardly more so. But to set forth the good I found, I will recount the other things I saw. How I came there I cannot really tell, I was so full of sleep when I forsook the one tree away. But when I reached the foot of a hill, there where the valley ended that pierced my heart with fear, looking up I saw its shoulders arrayed in the first light of the planet that leads men straight, no matter what their road. This is how Dante's Inferno begins, the realization that one has come to himself in a dark wood, lost. It's hard to tell the nature of this uncertain forest. We aren't sure how we ended up there. We are so full of sleep. The only thing we know we see in this shrouded valley is the way out, the first light of the planet, Dante calls it, some path toward resurgence. But just because we, like Dante, can see this first light doesn't mean our transformation is anywhere near complete. Metamorphosis must be the act of changing, the period in between the forest dark and the mountaintop of plenty. It can be gritty, it can be unsatisfying. But there are stories to be found in this chrysalis moment, transient tales of knowing where you started and dreaming of the finish line, revelations firmly footed in the midst of the trek upward. Last week on News and Culture, we heard stories of Genesis, revelatory beginnings created from nothing. But today we find ourselves, like Dante did in the 1300s, midway through our journeys, lost in a dark wood. There is a way up from here, we can see the light of the planet. But it's a path that will take us through this unknown forest of change. A journey that itself may be a story worth telling, independent of its origin or outcomes. So tonight we tell stories of metamorphosis, the before and after, but more importantly, the act of changing itself, the work and energy put into transformation, and the lessons that can only be learned on the trek out from the dark wood. First up, Abani Ahmed and Daniel Yo speak to the planners and architects looking to revitalize Trenton, New Jersey's capital city. Next on News & Culture, Natalia Maidik and Navani Rachamalu explore the comeback of vinyl record culture in recent years from the perspectives of both WPRB's music team and the iconic Princeton Record Exchange. And in our last story tonight, Claire Kaneshiro learns about the experiences of those who identify as born-again Christians and discovers from this a new perspective on self-transformation. Stick around, we'll be right back. WPRB wants you to know that if you live, work, go to school, or pay taxes in the city of Philadelphia, you should sign up for a free Library of Philadelphia library card. You can gain online access to ebooks, audiobooks, movies, music, digital learning resources, online programming, and much more. To apply for a card or learn more, visit freelibrary.org. 
This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. First up, Abani Ahmed and Daniel Yeo speak to the planners and architects looking to revitalize Trenton, New Jersey's capital city. Cities. Historically, they are where Americans began to revolt against the British, where news and culture spread rapidly, and where life was lived. But after the pandemic and a growing number of citizens moving out, city life has been on pause for a few years. However, you may have noticed brand new projects being built in your own cities. New housing structures, new commercial and office buildings, new spots for people to move back in and live their lives again. Trenton, in particular, is seeing a boom in housing development and renewal. Daniel Yo and I, Abani Ahmed, spoke with an architect in Trenton who is working on one of these very projects. I'm uh, John Hatch. I am Princeton class of 84. I am uh, an architect. I've lived and worked in the city of Trenton for a long time now, I will, for 34 years, just over 34 years. I'm a partner in a firm called Clark Caton Hintz, um, which is right downtown. And then I'm also a partner in a redevelopment company called HX2 Development. And we focus on redeveloping mainly historic properties properties in the city of Trenton. What is urban renewal? So it, it probably has a couple of uh, paths you could follow. So urban renewal sort of is uh, a name for some official policies, policies that were put in place probably starting in the 1950s and, you know, uh, and 1960s, they included things like um, sort of the general term was, was to prepare American cities for redevelopment. So I think um, the idea was that there was a lot wrong with American cities, that they, um, that they had been in decline for decades by the time these laws were put into place, you know, that there were um, concentrated poor people and, and um, immigrants and black and brown people, and that cities needed a lot of help. So, you know, kind of these laws were put in place to help prepare cities, and I'm, I'm saying this slightly sarcastically, prepare cities for redevelopment. So a lot of what was done for instance, there were neighborhoods that were vacated, um, you know, poor neighborhoods and black and brown neighborhoods, and then were demolished. And that was considered urban renewal. So it was preparing these areas for new development that would be better than the old development. So, so that's kind of one broad way of uh, thinking about urban renewal. And I'll say that that's bad urban renewal. So, but urban renewal in, in sort of a more neutral way is thinking about how to take advantage of the you know, the qualities and characteristics of a city, um, its history and its architecture and the people that already live there and, um, and redevelop it so that, you know, kind of keeps its vibrancy and its interest and kind of redevelops uh, kind of its tax base and and things like that. Why is there a need for urban renewal in Trenton? So Trenton is a very typical American city. It's, you know, in round numbers, it's a little over 90,000 people right now. And it has gone through 
what virtually every American city has gone through over the past 50, 70 years, let's say. There has been, there was a pretty massive decline in population. So at its peak in the 1950s, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, it was over 130,000. And now it's just over 90,000. And actually in, uh, in 2010, it hit the bottom. So right around 85, 86,000 and now has had an upswing. So that's one thing, it's a, a massive decline in population. And it's 37% in Trenton from its peak to its its bottom. And that is pretty typical of American cities. You know, Detroit had a much, had a larger decline. There are other cities that had smaller declines. And it was very typical in American cities. Industry moved out, retail moved out, middle-class residents moved out, white people moved out. And what happened is there was a concentration of poor people in, in American cities. Um, many American cities, if they were on a, um, on a river or on a waterfront, um, highways were built along those waterfronts, separating the city from the waterfront from its greatest asset. Historic neighborhoods were demolished. What was built in their place was often public housing, so concentrating uh, poor people together in public housing. So all of that really had a huge neg negative effect on American cities over the course of those 50, 60, 70 years. And Trenton was no exception. And it's a really, I'm sorry to say, it's a good case study for all those negative things that happened to American cities. So. That's why Trenton needs redevelopment and urban renewal. And that's why American cities need urban renewal and, and urban redevelopment because of what we as a people in the United States have done to our cities over the past uh, 70 years. Yeah, that's kind of depressing. It but is, and it's really, it's and it's such a reflection of American society and American culture. It's the embodiment of structural racism in the United States that that's really what has led to these policies, you know, and laws and regulations and funding, some of which were done with kind of the best of intentions, but with kind of, but with unexamined bias, and some were, were just blatantly racist. And so the result is what we are surrounded with, our built environment, everything from our cities to our suburbs to suburban sprawl, all of it, I think, is a reflection of our um, structurally racist society. This leads into our next question, which is, what is your company doing to promote redevelopment in Trenton? Sure. So I think we start with the principles, uh, a couple of principles about cities and about sustainability. So we start with the premise that in American cities are good places to live that once people sort of get past their prejudices about cities, they see that cities are more interesting, that, you know, they're walkable, they're more vibrant, they're more fun, like all of it. Even American cities that have gone through the 70-year-long process, you know, racist process. So that's one thing. We also think that cities are more sustainable. Um, and that is because they're denser, so you don't have to drive. You can walk, you can take your bike, you can take public transportation. And even just the way uh, cities, uh, uh, buildings are constructed in cities are more sustainable. John's project involves reusing older historical buildings as new loft housing. 
He explained how significantly more sustainable the preservation of buildings is rather than building new ones. Reusing existing buildings is using embodied carbon. So as opposed to even, even the most efficient new building is much more carbon intensive than reusing an existing building that has carbon embodied in it. You know, a building that was built 100 years ago, you know, might have might have used a lot of energy and carbon to build, but it's been around for all that time. So it has embodied carbon that makes it much more sustainable. And so then what we do is we reuse historic buildings. We've re we've redeveloped historic houses, but also historic industrial buildings. So that's inherently sustainable. And then we do them in a really energy efficient way. And, you know, our building is LEED Gold, which means it's, it's um, we use lots of um, locally produced materials, highly uh, recycled, lots of recycled materials, everything's recyclable and very, very energy efficient. So on top of all the embodied carbon in the building, we then make a very uh, sustainable development. And we do all of our work in Trenton because we believe in Trenton. We think people ought to be moving into cities that we don't think there should be suburban sprawl. So we're all about redeveloping Trenton and promoting the city of Trenton. For WPRB, this has been Abani Ahmed. WPRB wants you to know that if you're a renter in Philadelphia, you should know your rights. PhillyTenant.org has everything you need to know about your rights and obligations as a tenant in Philadelphia. You can find information about security deposits, leases, evictions, repair, lead testing, housing assistance, and much more. That's PhillyTenant.org. A live help for low-income Philadelphia renters is also available by phone 9 a.m. through 7 p.m. Monday through Friday at 267-443-2500. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV, Princeton, community-supported independent radio. Next on News & Culture, Natalia Maidik and Navani Rachamalu explore the comeback of vinyl record culture in recent years, from the perspectives of both WPRV's music team and the iconic Princeton Record Exchange. We are here at the Princeton Record Exchange talking to customers shopping for vinyl. The way it feels like the music is more authentic. Um, a lot of times too, I love older music as in 70s and I'm also a really big fan of musical theater. And I feel like those are both genres of music that get lost over Spotify, especially the older classics. I think like once I was old enough to like get my own record player in my room, I was like, I need all of my favorite albums and like I kind of like went back in time and like got all of my favorite music. I just think it sounds more authentic and it just like, I don't know, listening through like wires and like Bluetooth, it's not the same, I don't know. I just prefer the sound and it feels authentic and real. One customer was buying a record for a friend. It's nice just to have something hands-on, you're building a collection. So this is something like we've both seen her together. We know a bunch of songs on this album and I know that she doesn't have it. So yeah. And what's the album? This is Jubilee, Japanese Breakfast. 
Today we wanted to dig a little deeper into the rise in vinyl sales amongst a younger crowd, especially in a time when music is so easily accessed through the internet and apps like Spotify. In 2021, vinyl sales were over a billion dollars, which is the largest amount the public has spent on vinyl since the 80s. We'll explore the rebirth of vinyl with the owner of Princeton's record store and a member of WPRB's own staff to zoom out on the trend and understand a bit more of vinyl's cultural importance. John Lambert is the owner of Princeton Record Exchange, a store that's been around since the 80s, selling new and used music and other media. What kind of things do you sell? Like, so vinyl, CDs? So vinyl, CDs, DVDs, 45s, okay. a little bit of video games, um, accessories, tote bags, things like that, but most, mostly records and CDs. We asked John about the rise in vinyl sales over the last few years, but it turns out that this increase in sales has been steady for a lot longer than that. It's been about a 15-year journey, as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. And you can almost tie it together with Record Store Day. Yeah. So, so it's a national holiday uh, in which they release hundreds of exclusive items only to brick-and-mortar independent stores. You can't order them online. You can't stream them. Uh, some people line up around the block and wait for hours to get this stuff. Mm -hmm. There's about 600 titles a year or something like that. Um, so that when that first started... That sort of, I don't know, the whole trend of, okay, let's make something for independent stores, let's start to get back into vinyl a little bit. That, that pretty much started with them in that time period, and we've been seeing a steady increase. We went from, in that 15 years, CDs were probably 70% of our business to like 20 LP and then 10% DVD back then, and now we're pretty much flip-flopped. John then spoke about his predictions for the future of vinyl's popularity. I know some things. Mm -hmm. I know we didn't stop selling vinyl when they stopped making vinyl. So mm -hmm. all through the 90s when it was almost impossible to find, our store was thriving selling vinyl. Um, there's always, I think, going to be a subset of, of customers who want that. Uh, it's a good product, uh, unlike some fads where really the product itself is like, eh, whatever. You know, records really are good. You take mm -hmm. care of them, and a record from the 60 years old will sound as perfect as the day you bought it. I. I actually predicted CD resurgence too that's going to happen I think in about I was going to guess like three or four years people are going to start going like hey you know what CDs are pretty cool they sound good and they're small yeah. um, and there's a lot of out of print titles now they're starting to creep up a little bit mm -hmm. I see more kids now in the CD section than I was seeing before still more way more LP but, but more are going to the CDs first what do people ultimately love about vinyl here's John's take a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people. Um, you could start with the sound, uh, first of all. For many people, it's a, a warmer, richer sound than certainly MP3s, but even CDs can be a little brittle sounding. Uh, so there's that kind of naturalistic feel that people really uh, enjoy. Mm -hmm. Then is the packaging, of course, is wonderful. You know, great covers. You can actually read the liner notes. You know, they insert some things in the colored vinyl, and it's, it's just an interesting physical package. Um, and then finally, I think more importantly in this era, there's a lot of people who are really rebelling against that whole kind of ephemeral, digital, virtual world. Mm -hmm. uh, they want a connection to reality. They're, they're, they're tired of staring at screens. They're tired of pushing buttons. And you hear that whole product as that work of art was meant to be heard, as, as the artist intended it to be heard. Not just a single driven commodity, but something that's actually a complete piece of work in itself. Uh, so that, that kind of engagement that that affords 
I think is very satisfying for a lot of people, particularly in this in this era. And I think it's particularly as a response to the pandemic, when a lot of us were locked up and we lost that that physical connection with the world, and a lot of people really missed that and are trying to reclaim that to some extent. To get a different perspective, we interviewed Grady Trexler, the music director here at WPRB. So uh, I've been the music director since the beginning of this year, and. Essentially what that means is I'm in charge of um, the, the, the music at the station at like a, both a really high level and a really low level. So um, part of it is I'm getting in contact with um, bands and labels who have new releases, asking them to send them to us so that we can write it on air. And I'm also doing things like uh, trying to keep our record library and our CD library um, organized and up to date and just trying to make sure that every DJ has access to music that they're excited in, excited about and interested in. At WPRB, we have a system for introducing new music into every DJ set. Grady told us a little bit about the history of the system, which we call New Emf. I think it started like five or six years ago, or actually no, I think it started way earlier than that. Um, this uh, system we have called New Emf, which stands for New Emphasis. Um, a lot of stations do a similar system that they call like just a new bin. Basically what it means is there's a collection of recent releases um, that I make available to DJs um, so they can play from their show. After the pandemic hit and PRB sort of um, fractured into broadcasting from a lot of different locations, um, I also maintain uh, a digital new inf, I guess, shelf, uh, which is just a collection of like MP3s or flags um, that DJs can pick from. So it's sort of the same idea, but obviously not, not quite the same thing. He told us about his thoughts on why playing physical music is so important, both for WPRB and for personal listening. I mean, just at like a very obvious level, the way that you interact with like a folder of files versus the way you interact with a shelf of records is a lot different. I mean, if an album is like a house, the record sleeve is sort of like the door, the stoop, right? And so if you're just dropped into a record, you're not seeing any physical markings on the case. You're not seeing really any album art. I mean, I guess there's a little picture in, in a digital file. Um, it just makes it different. It's kind of hard to articulate how exactly, but I would say when, it, when music comes in like not a physical format, like a purely non-tangible digital format, uh, it feels a lot more temporary. I think it's easier to forget about. You don't have these like, like I have memories playing records in the studio where I grabbed a record immediately because of the album cover. And I remember, oh, like, it was this heavy vinyl. Like I remember how it felt. I remember how it looked spinning on the platter. Um, I think you're not really getting getting those sorts of memories. Vinyl's place in our music listening culture doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Having a physical object to play from is something that attracts people, and it's clear this isn't an outdated way of listening, but instead a more authentic way to enjoy your favorite tunes. From WPRB News and Culture, this has been Navani Ratramalu and Natalia Medik. Georgia's public art program exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive public discourse, and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. Take a tour and hear some of the stories behind more than 4,000 murals that grace our city. Learn more by following at Mural Arts on Twitter and Instagram and by visiting muralarts.org. 
This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. And in our last story tonight, Claire Kaneshiro learns about the experiences of those who identify as born-again Christians and discovers from this a new perspective on self-transformation. This is a story about metamorphosis, about transformation, and about something that traverses the two, born-again Christians. Just imagine a caterpillar. Maybe it's lime green, maybe it's a little fuzzy. And the caterpillar is just munching away at the milkweed in your garden. Now one day, that caterpillar decides to crawl into a cocoon and it stays there for a couple weeks, maybe a month, growing and transforming itself until we end up with a butterfly. Think elegant wings, maybe with some orange and black, or maybe with a shimmery blue. And this is the story. We've got a caterpillar, a cocoon, and it emerges as a butterfly. And that's how the story of metamorphosis goes. But today, let's imagine it a little differently, with a little fantasy on our side. Imagine no cocoon, the caterpillar, is wandering along and one day it wakes up, looks back at its own caterpillar self and realizes that it's been transformed. And maybe it happened in an instant. Or maybe it's been transforming all along and it just never knew. And all biology aside, this is how our story of metamorphosis goes. And for this piece, I talked with three young adults currently attending Princeton University who identify as born-again Christians. Yeah, Ashley Tang. I'm from Camas, Washington, and that's like three hours from Seattle, super close to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I'm Timmy Seifert. I am a sophomore in the class of 2025, and I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. My name is uh, Brian Cook. I'm class of 2025, and currently I live in Seoul, South Korea, but I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island. The born-again Christian is a term that exists predominantly in evangelicalism, but is present between and across denominations. The folks we interviewed are all currently non-denominational, basing their understanding in the language of the Bible. And I asked these folks to walk me through the meaning of becoming born again and the process by which one is reborn. What I believe that means is that the person of God and the person of Jesus. I believe that they are one and the same and that they, um, that God 
actually transforms you from the inside out. So I believe it is, it is very much a once, like a one-time thing that happens, but then it is also a lifelong process of being transformed. So I believe that there was one moment where it kind of just hit me and I was like, all right, I believe that Jesus came to life and that he died to save me from all the horrible things I have done and ever will do. Um, but because I was so young, I don't really remember it. I'm like always just reflecting on like maybe some like family issues that have like left me like maybe emotionally scarred throughout my life and just thinking about all those things mental struggles that I had um and so I think it was that summer where I realized okay I've been trying to like fix myself I think like I've been trying to just get better on my own and like taking maybe like general advice from the world but nothing was really working. Like I'd always go back to the, like feeling, um, like struggling with these mental issues that I had. Um, and also like I never truly healed from some unfortunate things that have happened in my past. And so I think the actual process of becoming born again was just through prayer. And like, I think I finally just like asked God, okay, I don't think I can do this on my own. And I've been trying to, so I, I was just, praying a lot and asking God, can you just show me, like, can you just fix me? Cause I don't think I can do it. And I think the whole point of believing in you is also like recognizing that I need you. Again, was um, acknowledging that I do need to have that personal relationship with God. It was leading up to that point, but I do remember a specific night when that happened. Um, I was for months prior contemplating what it means to be saved. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Um, essentially it means to be born again. It means to um, take off that old life. And within Christianity, the term testimony refers to the story of each person, recounting how they came to be born again and how they came to have this relationship with God. And you can see it in their descriptions that for some of them, they've woken up one night or one morning and decided, whether consciously or subconsciously, to consider themselves saved. And for others, it was more like waking up one morning and realizing that for the past couple weeks they've been saved, or maybe for all of their childhood, but only now on this morning, realizing it. My brother was kind of like me. He was pretty young, maybe like five or six years old. But my parents say that there was like this one week where he was just really pondering things and really like deep in thought as a six-year-old <laughs> and he was like asking these deep questions and then just this one this one night he was like you know I think I believe that this is true um so that was kind of like his born again moment so it feels like there's almost this day 
when the switch flips or the table turns and you realize you've been transformed and you're born again. And it happened somewhat all at once, but not necessarily. Maybe sometimes it's slowly, gently creeping up on you. Like learning to read, you first get the sound of the letters, then syllables, then words, and suddenly there's a whole book in your hands. But no experience of in-between. It's all at once or not at all. Whenever you hear about change, a new job, graduating high school, you always want to ask, where were you before? Who are you now? And how is that different? Who's the caterpillar and who's the butterfly? Or maybe, what's the caterpillar and what's the butterfly? And at the end of it all, in this piece, we want to ask what transforms when you become born again? Fundamentally, what's changing? And so let's get started with this story. He says that there was this one night that he just felt like this overwhelming like impression on his heart or idea in his mind that was like, have I trusted Jesus yet? Like, do I believe that this is true? And he was like, at this one point, he was just laying in bed, pondering things, and he was like, yes. Like, I want this for my life. I trust that this is true. And then he said, there was like this kind of image in his mind of like chains being broken off of him and just this freedom. Like he, he almost like saw it and felt it like, like happen. It's really, um, after being born again, I really feel like like I have this new heart and like this these new desires that I don't think I ever could have had just by like myself, just like growing by myself. Individuals do change and they do so once they've become born again or saved. I've heard folks tell me that they're more sympathetic and patient and kind at least in their own eyes, because we can't really corroborate. But even more fundamentally, this is not really just about individual metamorphosis. This is about something bigger. This is about the connection between a person and God, the relationship between a person and God. And it seems that those who are born again have assimilated God into themselves in a way that God sort of justifies their being and God has given them new heart, new desires, and new forms of existing. And like any relationship that you'd want to foster, you've got to make it a priority. And so the key to a lot of these born-again Christians is making God or Jesus a priority and using this priority to redefine the purpose or objectives of life. I believe that when you become born again, 
then your life is focused on a relationship with God. That is the number one priority of your life. But before that, you might have other priorities, like number one, like what am I living for? I am living for happiness. I am living to make a difference in the world. I am living to have a good reputation. And these are all things that like I have as priorities, that these are things that I live for, but they are not above the priority of knowing God and serving God. For those of us who are born again, um, there is freedom in that. And there is the ability to live life the way that God originally designed it. And the more and more I learn about that and live and make choices and spend time with God in prayer and reading the Bible and singing songs and music and talking to other people, the more I see that God's design is beautiful and it's better than anything I could have imagined, anything I could have come up with, anything I could have desired in my heart because it, it's what I was created for and it's what I was created to do. So there is so much freedom and passion and peace um, that is found in being born again and having that relationship with God. Probably one of the biggest ones of like after would be like free, like it's really freeing. I feel like I'm not really weighed down by these like internal mental struggles that I've always had or like weighed down by past memories and bitterness. Like I feel like that's all been lifted. And to wrap up the story, I was curious about what the internet had to say about born-again Christians and, like all things that can be learned, performed, or dare I say, transformed, there exists a wikiHow page. And so, if you're ever interested, you can wikiHow how to be saved. And the process of becoming saved is conveniently separated into three steps, accompanied by some pastel-toned scenes of church steeples and men in thought, and it reads just as you would expect it to. Succinct, but something about WikiHow religion feels like an anti-metamorphosis. With WPRB News and Culture, this is Claire Kaneshiro. And that's our show. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly, Adam Sanders. Tonight's stories were reported, recorded, and produced by Abani Ahmed, Daniel Yo, Natalia Maidik, Navani Rachamalu, and Claire Kaneshiro. Our editors are Hannah Lee, Claire McQueenie, Izzy Jacobson, Alan Plotz, and Henry Moses. The theme music for our show is Montanita by Ratatat. Other songs in this episode include Blue Gospel Beat and Track 2, by Hoslina CC0, TRG Banks by Charles Hawtrey, and Spirit Blossom by Roman Belov. Can't get enough of news and culture? Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts, or at our website at news.wprb.com. That's news.wprb.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WPRB News. That's at WPRB News.
News and Culture is produced in Princeton, New Jersey by WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. Take care and enjoy your evening.